Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. If you've listened to our two previous episodes, you know that the book of James is our focus for this season. Today, we are talking about James 1 and 19 through 2 and 23. And joining Amber and me for our discussion are Leslie Ham and Claire Weaver. Welcome, ladies. So glad to be here. Thank you. Glad you're here. Leslie and Claire, please tell us a little bit about yourselves and answer our question of the day. What is your favorite nighttime snack? Hey, I'm Claire Weaver, and I'm married to John. We have five daughters. They are 12th grade, 10th grade, 7th grade, 4th grade, and pre-K. Our two oldest go to Westminster, and then I homeschool our three younger ones. So... I am a stay-at-home mom and a mom just to girls. And, oh, and my favorite nighttime snack. Honestly, I really haven't met a snack I don't like. <laughs> but, um, That's my girl. I, I like really it. like uh, a Diet Coke and popcorn. And if you throw in some peanut butter M&Ms, I'm super happy. Do you put the peanut M&Ms in the popcorn? Um, no, because I don't want them to melt. But um, I'll just kind of take them anyway. Yeah. You can give them to me. I put mine in my popcorn and I like it when they melt because they have the hard candy coating. Oh, Did yeah. you know that? Like yeah. melt in yeah. your mouth, yeah. not in your hand? Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. <laughs> a nice but ad for M&M. <laughs> yeah. 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 Lovely, lovely, lovely. I'm one of five girls, so I can really yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm Leslie Ham, and I'm married to Wesley Ham, and we, as of a month and a half ago, have three teenagers in the house. So we have a 13-year-old girl, Claire, 14-year-old Chloe, and a 17-year-old boy, Garrett, and they're a lot of fun. I actually really love teenagers, so it's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, I work at the church and enjoy working here. I've been here for 10 years, which is wow. hard to believe. I'm as 10 years in yeah. April, and I've loved it. Um, my favorite nighttime snack, Wes and I have started watching TV shows that we both like since this COVID time. We've streamed a lot. And we have gotten in the habit of kettle corn at night. We share a bag of kettle corn with us and the dog on the couch. We're not, we don't let the kids watch with us, but we share between the two of us. So that's mm-hmm. our nighttime snack. Does the dog get any? Oh, yeah. Okay. She's okay. so rotten, sits between us and gets lots of popcorn. <laughs> kids don't get it, though. I don't know. You want to say about that? About the two of yeah, us. Yeah, that not might be a different episode. I don't know. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe so. Exactly. Favoritism of your pets. All right. Well, my favorite nighttime snack right now is going to sound so healthy, but I'm not intending it to be because that's not the point. But it's this green tea. How do you pronounce T Z A O? Zao? You know, it's a name brand. Anyway, it has to be that kind with just a splash of milk in the bottom. And the water has to be boiling. So it's splash of milk, tea bag, boiling water in that very quick succession. So John will say, do you want me to make you some tea? I said, no, you won't do it right. I like it just like that. And I like it right before I go to sleep. And there's just something soothing about it to me in the wintertime. So I'm into that right now. That's awesome. And if I need to add a cookie to it or a piece of chocolate chip pie, I'm good with that too. But that's the staple every night. That's pretty good. And so for me, it's if we're watching a movie. And so other other times I try to swear off snacks because that's just, that just doesn't work for me. Uh, and sleeping well, I don't know. So for me, it, it's kettle corn. I'm sad to report that my dog gets none of that. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so it, it is usually uh, just my husband and me watching a movie and eating popcorn. So, so you don't share with the kids or the dogs? Uh, no comment. Oh. Okay, so, <laughs> so 
So in our particular portion of scripture today, we're studying James and, and James calls us to walk out true faith, not allowing us to be satisfied just hearing the word and not doing it. He calls our attention to the marginalized, uh, not tolerating partiality towards those who are the lowly and the oppressed. So, Amber, what are some of the major themes you've picked up on in our passage for today? Well, I liked how we started, just that he's referring to his listeners as beloved brothers and the fact that they have the implanted word in them that can save their soul. And just the status of of the people that he is writing to makes the rest of that flow to me. And something that stuck out to me in particular is when he's referring to the law and twice in this section that he calls it the law of liberty. And that struck me as an oxymoron. Generally, that's not how we tend to think about the law. We think of the law as restrictive and liberty as freedom. And I just was thinking recently about the fact that for us to believe that a law outside of ourselves and authority outside of ourselves is actually the thing that gives us freedom is counterintuitive. I tend to think that when I'm a law unto myself, then I'll have freedom. So it was good for me in this portion of scripture to think that the things he's calling me to do or calling us to do are so that we will flourish together. And there's a lot of emphasis on together. What does it look like to love one another out of that law of freedom? So I saw that. I love that. I love that. You're talking about the implanted word and um, even working together. Because for me, just seeing him talk about this implanted word, what came to mind for me was uh, your word I have uh, hidden Mm -hmm. in my heart that I might not sin against you. Mm -hmm. But then, so there's a part that I'm doing, but then there's a part that the Lord's doing because this word he has implanted. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's some mutual, there's there's a part that he plays and there's a part that I play. And so... Um, I found that was a, that was a lie for me too. Yeah. I like the implanted word. Yeah. So. And the difference between it, like where it speaks in the old Testament of our hearts that were hard and now there's stuff that we yes, actually love yes. the word, you know, mm-hmm. because it's been given to us in that way through the spirit and ministered that to us. I wondered in verse 26, when he's saying that if anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't keep a bridle on his tongue, what he meant by religious. So it was helpful for me to think that that's my faith worked out not a set of sort of moral principles that I adhere to, mm-hmm. but that if my faith has no action, then um, then it's not the thing that I think that it is. So it was helpful for me to just define religion. I think it's really interesting that um, James, throughout this entire book, he keeps in front of us what it means to hear the word and what it means to do it. Now, he says it explicitly here in the passage that we're reading today, But throughout this book, he's going to put his finger on that space in between our belief and our behavior and and say, I need those to align. Mm -hmm. And that's what he's doing the entire book. Mm -hmm. Um, He's doing that when he's talking about the marginalized. And we see James was called James the Just because he was so righteous Mm -hmm. in his um, piety and in his prayer life and in all of that. Later on, as a part of the Jerusalem Council, James would be known as the one who put his finger on that space uh, with regard to Jews and Gentiles. As the the church, the early church, who James was a leader in, James wanted to make certain that they weren't putting stipulations in that did not allow the Gentiles to just come without converting to Jewish faith, basically, by circumcision. Mm-hmm. James says, no, their identity has to be in Christ mm-hmm. and not in, um, you know, an outer ritual. And so 
James would have a lot to say for us today as far as um, not assimilating in the church, but actually welcoming other ethnicities and cultures as welcome in the body of Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and all the exhortations of James are given to those he calls, and I mentioned this already, but beloved brothers who have received the law of liberty that's been implanted in their hearts. And that means that because of their connection to Jesus Christ, they are intimately connected to one another and free to live a life of mutual flourishing. And that same precious reality is true for us today. One of the hallmarks of life lived well together is a shared ability to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You know, today is the day that the inauguration of the 46th president of the United States took place. And perhaps today as never before, we are aware of how valuable it is to possess the ability to keep our anger in check for the sake of others. But if we're honest, we're also keenly aware of how difficult that is to do. So, ladies, what does it look like in your life when you're slow to listen, quick to anger, and what helps you instead to be quick to listen and slow to anger? Well, I was thinking too, Amber, that it is so appropriate um, with the inauguration today. It just feels like we're so divided. And COVID was like, I call it a pressure cooker in our home because Mm -hmm. I feel like the Lord um, revealed a ton about myself just during that time. And I, I felt totally like the wrong person to be sitting here today talking about it. And maybe that's why I should be sitting here as Jesus is going to help me with this issue that I have. So over, over COVID, just I learned with my husband, especially he usually is in sales and is gone a lot during the week. And because we've been together so much, um, we, there's lots more opportunity to listen. And so what it looks like in my home when I don't listen is there's anger, there's frustration, there's hurt feelings, there's um, discord, and it's not just with me and my husband, it's me and my kids, other relationships in my life. But the thing that just kept coming to my mind every time I thought about being quick to listen is peace. That's the word that just kept coming to my mind because when you're quick to listen and really listen and not just form your thoughts while Mm -hmm. they're talking to Mm you, um, you understand so much better And I will say that the men in my house are introverted, and so they're very good at this. And so often you'll find with people who are really great listeners, they offer this wisdom that comes out of their mouth, and you're sometimes shocked. You're like, where did that come from? You're mostly quiet, and my son especially is really introverted, but he has these nuggets of wisdom. And I found that when when I listen, and I, I am the biggest talker in my home, I would say, and quick to speak. Um, there's a lot more joy. There's a lot more understanding. There's relationship mm-hmm. that's kept. And that's, that's the biggest thing that I find from being a good listener. Mm-hmm. And when I think about this question, it's very convicting, but just the context of parenting just kept coming to mind. And, um, to be honest, like when I'm quick to speak and slow to listen. A lot of times I get my immediate results that I want. Um, I'm usually angry and that raised voice or those quick words, it gets me my immediate results, but at a high cost, like Leslie said, of relationship, peace, Mm -hmm. wounded feelings. And um, so I find myself having to come, you know, repent before the Lord, but then, you know, 
ask forgiveness of my children a lot of times. And um, the verse in James about how man's anger does not produce the righteousness of God just keeps running through my brain because ultimately I want my children to walk with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times my hasty words and my anger are because I'm seeing sin in their lives. And I just, I want them to get to it. But, um, you know, that doesn't produce that righteousness. It might get those outward conformity that Mm -hmm. I want. So um, help for me is, you know, I notice I'm more angry. I'm less patient when I'm not spending time with the Lord, but also just prayerlessness. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, you know, it's so hard to slow down. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like we have the tyranny of the urgent. And so we're trying to get these things done, or I feel like I have to say this, but when I'm really trusting the Lord to work in this situation, then I don't feel such an urgency to speak. And I am not leaning on my own understanding. Um, so it's, you know, it's not an easy answer, but kind of Holy Spirit led and prayer and asking the Holy Spirit to work. Um, and just, you know, like James says, with humility, accepting mm-hmm. that implanted word that we have in our hearts and, and steeping ourselves in God's word. So, I mean, I, I definitely feel convicted yeah. by this mm-hmm. question. Well, that's helpful to me because I was thinking along in a similar category in regards to kiddos and just the idea that you feel like anger, anger could speak to control. You know, mm-hmm. anger is power, or, you know, mm-hmm. it's force. It's going to get something done and how it, it never does. And you're right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't achieve the righteous life that the Lord yeah. is asking of us. And for me, I think in this last year or so with so much upheaval and so much that we had not experienced before and so many different opinions and so much what could feel like polarization, I find myself in the lack of control. I don't get outwardly angry. I might, like, it, it pops out sometimes a little. They don't have the ba- the um, pesto jar I wanted, and I'm like a big sigh in the, in the, in the uh, aisle or whatever. And it's an indicator of other tensions in me. And I find that I work those tensions out mentally, just making these arguments, you know, about how what I think is right and why it's right and all those sorts of stuff in my mind. And it's been very humbling to me this year to realize how much I don't know. Like I go back to think what I said about such and such six months ago. I think I cannot believe I said that. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. And so it's really been part of it for me is the humility to recognize I don't know so much that I think that I know either I haven't learned it or I haven't experienced it or something along those lines. So if I can, when I am, I should say, when the Lord reminds me of those things, there's some hard situations maybe or hard lessons, I can say, Lord, you are so right. I do not know. And I really need to listen. And I do, I need to listen to other people. And then I need to listen to the Lord. It's just, like you said, prayerlessness. It's just a self-thought sort of thing going on in my brain, but there's no interaction or humility before the, before the word. And when that's the case, then I'm easily, easily angered. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the passage that just that keeps going through my mind with regard to this is he who um, forgives little loves little. Mm-hmm. I think I'm more slow to listen when I'm moving way too fast and when I'm hyper focused on what I'm focused on and I'm not giving attention to the more important things, just what's urgent. All of what I've heard expressed here, 
And I'm certainly slower to anger when I have greater awareness. And that comes when I'm spending the time uh, with the Lord, when I'm spending the time in his word, when I'm, when I'm being recentered day by day and um, being reminded of my own desperate need of grace. And I'm just more apt to extend that well to others than Perhaps it's a hyper-focus on self or other things that causes us to also not see the marginalized. So in, in what ways do we see them or engage them, the, those who are on the margins of society? And why are you motivated to do that? Well, you know, this to me is a hard question. And I, it's one that a lot of times I feel a lot of guilt yeah. over and go round and round in my head over. Um as a stay-at-home mom, most of my days are with my children. Um, And I think a lot of stay-at-home moms would feel that way. You know, we have a lot hanging on our apron Mm -hmm. strings. Um, And so I think for our family, you know, the, the first line of defense is just teaching our children about, are you seeing other people? I think about when the disciples asked Jesus, when they saw the I think the man born blind, you know, did this man sin or did his parents? And Jesus says, do you see this man? Mm -hmm. And so talking to them about really seeing other people. And sometimes when we think of the marginalized, we think socioeconomically, but, you know, it it can be anybody, you know, special needs, somebody that's Mm -hmm. just left out. Mm -hmm. And so even talking to our kids about did you talk to anybody that was by themselves? Did mm. you go sit with someone by themselves? Are we doing that at church, um, turning around and looking to see the family that maybe gets overlooked or um, right. someone that's lonely? Um, also, just the beautiful thing about being a believer is being connected to the body of Christ. And so when we are connected to the body of Christ, the hands and the, the hands can reach farther mm-hmm. and the feet can go farther. Mm-hmm. And so um, a commitment to giving to the body of Christ to um, enable the church to fund all of the different ministries to people on the margins of society. Um, also for me, it's freeing John up to serve in different capacities um, while I take care of the little people at home. Our family loves to be a part of missions outside of the United States, but also inside of the United States. And um, I think also, I just pray that the Lord would open up my eyes to the needs of people around me and help me to know where to place my feet. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when I read these verses in James, it can feel overwhelming. Like, what did I do today Mm. for um, the poor? But, you know, how are we living in a way that we are freeing up finances to give and then living in a way that we are not just so strapped as far as time that there's no time Mm. to give. And so, you know, at different times in our lives, it kind of ebbs and flows, but um, trying to live in a way where there's margin in our lives, both financially and time-wise to, to give to those that are needy. And the, the reason is because Jesus cared about the needy. needy. It's always the right answer. Yes, yeah, Jesus. 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 The right answer. Well, um, I think that I, was, I feel guilty too. I felt like there needed to be some grand gesture that I was going out and, and helping the marginalized. But when, when you really start to break that down into your home, it is a bunch 
of simple things. It's teaching your children to hang back and hold the hand of someone who is not doing well in the relay race because their special needs are um, taking a single mom to lunch Mm -hmm. just to give her babysitting for free Mm -hmm. to give a break, loving your neighbors that don't look like you or act like you or believe like you. And at the end of the day, do you want, you want those people to look and say, they are kind, they are different. They see me, they love me. And that's just a bunch of simple things. It's, it's also serving in our church. I mean, there's marginalized in our church um, and, and being kind to one another and, and speaking a kind word. And I just think that my greatest task, especially in the culture we're living in is, is like what you said, Claire. I mean, it seems so minimal, but it's raising our kids to love Jesus and to love people. And that is often showing them and opening their eyes to different cultures and taking them to different countries so they can see how grateful they should be and and just being aware of, of other people's feelings and not just their own and not putting themselves first is the golden rule. Um, so I think it, it can be really simple just to day-to-day care for people and and we do, we have some people in our life that we love that way. And um, it's not grand. I'm not going to get an award for it. You're not going to see like, and um, I think that's what's sweet about the gospel too. It's just lived out daily in your life um, with everyone that's around you. And honestly, it's just being kind. I mean, even on the dang road, please slow down for a minute. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't put the ichthus on the back of my car because maybe they wouldn't think I was a Christian, but, <laughs> but that's just, some, you know, just even just day-to-day kindnesses that people would see they would know we are Christians by our love that's so cheesy but it's true Hmm. yeah it it helps me in those times when I know what it is to receive the mercy of the Lord and in a way that I um, maybe didn't know how to ask for definitely didn't deserve um, was abundant and free and I think it's those times that then motivates me to want to give that out in a similar way, you know, versus I can also look at that and think, oh my gosh, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to. Let me find this place so that I can do this thing so then I can feel good about myself. And of course, that's not what uh, I'm looking for, but I am conscious of when I don't have the desire to reach out in mercy, then I'm probably not appreciating the Lord's mercy for my own self and um, delighting to give it to other people. And John and I recently uh, have been out in the community doing a, a couple things together and have built this friendship with someone that I just respect and admire so much. And she comes from um, a socioeconomic background that's different than ours. And her work ethic, her joy, all sorts of things has just, I tell her a lot how much I admire and respect her. And there was a time recently that she went through something that was kind of hard and we were able to give her a gift. And what I loved about it is it didn't feel like me finding somebody to give a gift to so I could feel good about myself. It was giving a gift to a friend and just delighting in it. And I, I thought, Lord, thank you for giving me those opportunities. And But I do need the Lord to continue. Pre- I keep praying, keep pressing that finger on me because I will find excuses not to do it because it's costly. You know, mm-hmm. I don't like something to cost. I don't want to have to give up something that's precious to me. I think I don't believe that the Lord will provide if I give it up. So I I do struggle and um, I do keep praying, Lord, you know, I will back away. So keep pressing your finger in on those places on me, you know.
I have another thing I appreciated was the fact, well, something that I have appreciated when I'm thinking about mercy is uh, one of our pastors a while back in the sermon just made the point that oftentimes what we're exhorted to do in scripture, we're exhorted to do as a body. And so, so many of the needs that we're asked to meet, we can't meet as individuals, but Mm -hmm. man, we do such powerful things together. So Claire, like what you were saying, I love the mercy gift dinner here at church because I see these stories of mercy and redemption and love and relationships that I had a tiny part in just through contributions, but I wasn't tangibly there. And it's such a delight to think, wow, Lord, I'm so glad that you've included us in this body to have this privilege of doing these things together. So in what ways have y'all seen the church loving and providing, protecting, seeing people who are on the margins? And why is it so important to you for the church to do that? Well, I think that, um, they won't know Christ's love unless we love them. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we have to reach out. And isn't it beautiful that we could say that we're part of a church that, that has is affiliated with other ministries that like heritage Academy and Christ's community. And like you said, Amber, I, I'm hope for Augusta. I'm not necessarily putting my hands on those ministries, Mm -hmm. but I'm giving to the church that gives to them and that it's neat to be able to be a part of that. And, we find that even in like women leading other women in Bible study, you're meeting such a need in, in these women's life to be in the word. And I found that just, I'm, I'm grateful to be part of ministry just to show up with young girls. And I'm so unqualified and it's so neat to, um, to love them. And, um, and I just, I know our church is constantly doing that. And I get to sit in a vantage point where I see a lot of people doing different things. Mm-hmm. We have beautiful people in our church mm-hmm. and they're doing amazing things on their own. And then our church collectively is doing so much work. And it's interesting that you can, we can be divided on a lot of political things and how to get to certain things. But we, we agree on a lot, no matter who you are. And what your faith is and the beautiful things that our church does for our community and for each other, it is unusual and it stands out. And it is enticing to those that don't even agree with our faith because I can tell them stories of our church and they think that's amazing that y'all do that. Nobody else does that. I mean, our hands are in we have people adopting children and giving to schools and helping with healthcare that's expensive. And I mean, these are huge, huge, giving cars to someone who need them. Isn't that life-changing to have that? Um, And so it's exciting to see, but most of all, it's, um, it's different than the world and we do it together. And um, the Lord, because of what Christ has done for us, we do it for others. And it's a joy to see that. Isn't it fun? I mean, it's so fun to give to people and to love them and that the Lord allows us to be a part of that. I would echo what, Leslie said, the church is the hands and the feet of Jesus. And, you know, whenever you hear of a tragedy in the world, you see the church moving in and bringing hope and relief and care and comfort. And I think it is so important. It brings glory to Jesus. But um, also the church is looking at a person in such a unique way. It's a way that the world doesn't look at them. The church is looking at each person as, you know, an image bearer and of infinite worth and not just seeing them as a physical entity, but a spiritual one too. And so 
ministering to the whole person. And I, you know, our specific church, I see so many people reaching out into the community. Like Leslie said, Hope for Augusta and Christ Community and Heritage Academy and um, missions. And it's just beautiful to see how our church is reaching out to our community and, and touching lives and encouraging people and then caring for those inside of the church too. I mean, it's amazing when I talk to non-believers about how our church has cared for the members. And and that is such a huge witness Mm -hmm. to other people of the beauty of being a part of a church and, and belonging to Jesus. Yeah, all. I mean, for all of those reasons, um, I think there's so many things that we could name. And in particular, uh, some of the after-school programs, I think that's partially because that's my heart, um, is being in the schools and um, just engaging children after-school hours where, honestly, they, they don't have anywhere else to be. Um, they're um, children of a, a single parent who's working or they need a hot meal, and the church is in that space. The church is being the, the the hands of Christ in that space and is bridging the educational gap, mm-hmm. is get, doing some tutoring and some of that type of thing, um, teaching those with dyslexia um, who are disadvantaged for a lot of other, um, for various reasons. And so to see the church occupy that space is seeing the church live out her calling. And and so it's just important Um for us to um, to be in that space and to not just be behind the walls uh, of the church, and that's what it that's what it means to fulfill this law that James is talking about. He said, "If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you will love your neighbor as yourself." And he says, "And then you are doing well." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what a blessing it is that we do that in light of one who's fulfilled the law for us and. The privilege is to emulate something that has been given to us and is being done in us so that when I love my neighbor as myself, they do experience love. They do experience my love, but they experience the love of the Lord. And it doesn't just stop with me. Uh, It goes to the one who loves us so well. And with that note of encouragement, we hope you will join us again next week. Let us keep you company while you cook dinner or run through the drive-thru. We will be talking through James 2 and 14 through 26 and the fact that steadfast works are by faith alone. We hope you'll listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she sees. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings when comforts are declining he grants the soul again a season of clear shining to cheer it after the rain